Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The money I wasted on suits that I can never wear again. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What was I thinking? Why did I think I was going to be part of MC Hammer's background dancers? I don't know what I thought. Quick meet, baby. I want to see these suits. I want to see these suits. I mean, did you have, was it like a big oversized Ben McAdoo suit? Uh, I've been a guy that's always, uh, I guess, been baptized by fire. Like Justin Bieber wore to the Grammys the other night? What, what are these? Give me, give me an idea what these suits what, look like. And, why don't you show up wearing one of them one day? No, I, I know. I don't want to. I'm embarrassed by them. Uh, uh, there it is can't get a real good look at it because he's carrying a baby i assume that's your baby and not just someone you grabbed out of the stands considering that the stands were empty in denver there's christopher what was that about 2008 that's not even that long ago 2009 you're right and that's what my wife told me she's like you know what you're gonna be embarrassed by that picture because that suit you were wearing was it was even out of style for 2009. So, and this isn't even that bad, Mike. That's what I'm talking about. I have some suits that were from five or six years earlier than this that were there were worse. I feel like so. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I know that was the last time I wore that suit right there because I remember seeing a picture or whatever, or seeing myself in the mirror later that day, and I went, "Whoa, this is too big, and I look ridiculous. I'm never going to wear this again." So that thing was out of here. Now, give me the background on this photo. I assume that's your daughter, Charlotte. That is Charlotte. Yep. It's after. I thought her hair was black. I thought her hair was black. Is her hair not black? Her hair is not black. No, it's, you know, she grew up like that color, dirty blonde. And as it's getting older, you know, as she's getting older, it gets a little darker. You know, what would you call it? Light brown, dirty blonde, whatever. Right. It's I thought I thought range. her hair, maybe my eyes are messed up. Okay, so was this after a game, I assume? After a game, and um, I can't remember the exact game or anything like that. But, yeah, you know how it is. Families hang around a little bit. You know, the wife and the daughter, the kids, whatever, they wait for their, their husbands or boyfriends to get out of the locker room. 
Sometimes you take the kids to run around on the field for a second. So it was one of those things right there. Um, yeah, it was cool. Charlotte was always looking for the horse. She was always looking for that Bronco horse. I forget the name of it, but she was obsessed with that. So that's probably what we were like acting like we were looking to see if it was still around. <laughs> was this dress code or was this choice? Like, did they expect you to wear a suit or no, were you yeah, just yeah. thinking, no, I look pretty good? this is choice as well. This is choice. This is um, at a home game. I don't think we had any rules for, for any team that I was on, really, where home game, you, you were given, you know, the green light to wear whatever you want. So I was trying, I guess, to be Johnny Professional even at the home game. Away game, you usually had a, like, there's a, there's a dress attire. You got to wear a suit or you got to wear a button-down shirt at least, whatever. Some teams suit and tie. But this was a Chris Sims choice there, which makes it even worse. That definitely is a lot of tan. That's a That's lot. A it, lot it of was tan. like a... It was like a summer, you know, what the hell is that material people wear like that are like the shirts that just flow and like, uh, I can't remember. Pete says linen. Yeah, I know linen, it's not exactly seersucker. Right. Linen. I like saying seersucker, but it's not seersucker. It's not seersucker. And sorry if I can't hear. I don't know what it is. My volume's a little low today and I'm having a hard time hearing as, as well as I'd like here. So I'm trying to fix that. Okay. Well, uh, fortunately, you fixed the attire. And that is late career, not early career. We still are searching the archives for the early career Chris Sims suits, pre-spleen. Did you have any change in your clothing tastes post-spleen? Did that funny. affect you no, and your but decisions? It's funny, you're funny you're saying this because this is another thing my wife brought up yesterday. She goes, you know, that suit looked extra ridiculous on you because you remember, like, after I lost my spleen or whatever, I don't know what it was, my body adjusting. I did become a little thinner at first where I even had a hard time keeping weight on or, or putting weight on to, to even get back to what I was before I lost my spleen. So I think that added to the effect of me looking a little uh, shrunken in that baggy suit there because I do, I think I was probably about seven or eight pounds lighter than what I was when I got fitted for wearing that suit. Have you heard from anyone? And I don't know the answer to this yeah, question, right? Have you heard from anyone who has learned for the first time while reading my book, Playmakers, which came out last month, about your spleen incident from 2006. Because I've talked to people doing, like, promotional stuff, radio stuff, and there were people who were like, they had no idea I that know. ever happened to I you. Know. Have you heard from anyone who said, I'm reading this book, and I had no idea you almost died during a game? I, I have not heard it in that context as far as I'm reading that book, but I, I do get a lot of kind of like what you're talking about, where, you know, the story will come up or somehow, and... People, I never knew that happened to you. You know, that is definitely one of the, the calling cards of Chris Sims' life, whether people know it and remember it and go, ooh, I remember watching that day, or they figure it out after they've met me or something like that to where they didn't know. And, yeah, I have to answer those questions a whole lot. But not, not specifically through, you know, one of the best-selling books in the country yet. Not yet. Sorry. That, that's, that's where you were supposed to lie and say, yes, they're calling me every day. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I dropped the ball there. My bad, man. That's all right. That's all right. Thunder, by the way, is the name. Thunder. That's the it. Broncos there we go. Hey, my daughter was not there to see me. She was there to see Thunder. I could tell you that much. Thunder, by the way, is a purebred Arabian gelding that acts as the team's mascot. Following every Broncos touchdown, Thunder displays his impressive canter from one end zone to the other. Yeah. And I have no idea what a canter is. A canter is, is, you know. Pete, let me just say one thing. From time to time, Pete will feed lines to us or questions to us. Right. 
Pete, leave the profanity out of the question because I may just repeat it exactly as you <laughs> said it. Pete said, what the F is a canter. Yes, right. And he said the whole word. Well, so. it, a canter is like a little less than a gallop, right? The gallop is like full speed, like running the horse, I believe, if I got that right. Canter is like a pretty good run, you know. They're not going full speed, but it's a pretty good run. That's what they call a canter. Canter, C-A-N-T-E-R, canter. And I'm always checking new words to see if they only have five letters to go into the batch of potential guesses for that stupid-ass Wordle game oh, well, I find wh- myself now playing every single day. Well, it can't be that stupid. So you're one of the ones that has gotten obsessed and sucked in by Wordle. I, I need to do this. I, I've seen it, and it is addicting. I know that. Not so obsessed that I tweet to the world what I did every day on Wordle. Nobody cares about whether it took you three, four, five, or six tries to get your Wordle word in. (laughs) Nobody's impressed. Nobody cares. Miles Simmons and I go back and forth about this all the time. Nobody cares about the fact that you did Wordle, you solved Wordle, or how many tries it took you to do it. No one cares. They care even less yeah, about that like than they care team. about your fantasy team. Right, they right. care even less about how you did on Wordle. But what what has happened is my wife and I both do Wordle. So that gives us something we can communicate about throughout the course. Of the day. Hey, did you do Wordle yet? No, did you? No. Don't tell me anything about it. Don't tell me anything about it. Don't tell me how many tries it took you because implicit within that may be a tip. I don't want any tips. I don't want any clues. I don't want to know that it was hard or easy. Just don't tell me. I want to go in fresh every day Wait, for Wordle. Explain Wordle to me here. Right? They, they, it's one thing. A, it's one a week, right? You just got to solve. One a day. One a day. One a day. Okay. And now explain it to me exactly because I'm not sure if I quite understand exactly what it is. When you pull up the Wordle, the official Wordle that has been purchased by the New York Times, and they've yet to bombard you with ads or make you pay to do it, which is encouraging, although I think it's a setup. But it is a grid of 30 boxes. Yeah. And five across the top and six down. And you put in a word. You put in a five-letter word. Now, it will reserve the right to reject your word, like... I have tried to put in profanity, and it has rejected it. But yesterday, one of the guesses I put in was Latin, L-A-T-I-N, and it it said it wasn't a word. So I'm questioning the I'm questioning the dictionary of the of the folks Wordle. who are right. deciding what is or isn't a word on Wordle. But you put in a five letter word, and it tells you they light up three colors: gray, which means that letter is not in the word at all. There's a tan, kind of like the color of your suit from 2009 that tells you yes that letter is in the word but it's not in that specific spot where you put it and then green means boom that you got that one that letter is part of the word and it's in the right spot and the trick to remember is sometimes a letter can show up twice or or in theory three times yeah right so just because you're crossing off there it is just because like in this one you cross off the n the w the y the o the r the k and times is ultimately the answer. But when you see that E up there, that E, that tan E, you you may have multiple E's. You don't know that yet. So gotcha. you get six tries. Gotcha. You get six tries. And obviously nobody, well, I mean, sometimes I guess you could get it on the first try if you're just flat out lucky. But there's a strategy to it. It's like the, the letters and the vowels they pick on Wheel of Fortune, you know, at the end. You know, you, you want to use letters and vowels that, that are common. You right. don't want to do some obscure guess right out of the gates. And then it gives you an idea. And it requires some 
some deduction and it requires some reasoning and some good guessing. And you need to have a decent understanding of the vocabulary because sometimes they are fairly obscure. Okay. All right. That's good. I'm going to try this out because it seems like a lot of people I talk to like love it or obsessed with it. I know guy, you know, people in the control room are obsessed. So uh, I might have to uh, join in on the fun there a little bit. I do it mostly every day. And on days when I'm really busy, I'll forget. And there was one night recently where I rushed to do it because I thought I was getting it in under the wire. And I got it right. And it said next word on 23 hours and 58 minutes. Like, crap, I, I missed the, the cutoff. One. So yeah, I yeah, missed right. the day. I'm trying to, I try to get a streak going. They tell you your streak. My maximum streak is 14. Not that I've ever not gotten it. I have never not gotten it in at least six tries. Right. But, but I've missed a few days because i just forgot to do it so anyway it's for there new york times free advertising for your stupid ass wordle game we spent five minutes talking about it now chris is going to try to do it uh maybe uh linen will be today's word that is l-i-n-e-n that is a five-letter word word. there we go way to tie it together all right uh the panthers trying to tie together a roster with a quarterback who's worth a crap let's hear from scott fitterer the general manager of the Carolina Panthers, talking about the possibility, and this is from last week, Fitterer talking about the possibility of taking a quarterback with that sixth overall pick in the 2022 draft. You absolutely want to hit on that pick, and it's hard to pass on, whether it's a, you know, a cornerstone left tackle, whether it's a pass rusher. But quarterbacks are hard to find, and sometimes you have to swing to t- and take a shot at these guys. And if you miss, you can't you know, stop swinging. You have to take a shot again. And uh, it's the most important position on the field. So there's a lot of ways we can go. Quarterback is definitely one of them. And we do like these guys. Let me say this. First thing he said was, you want to hit on that pick. Let's remember something as we get within 22 days of the 2022 draft. It's always important to enunciate your T's. But... They blow picks from the top of the draft to the bottom of the draft. The busts are there in the top 10. You want to hit on it, but half the time you don't. We can go back every year, and you'll never hear that as we get closer to the draft. Everybody who's kind of part of the draft grift and selling the hope to everyone, hey, there's a great pick. Oh, that guy's going to be a great player, and all the positive. You won't hear anything about the possibility. You won't hear a word about it during the draft coverage especially, but it slips out of the conversation as we get closer and closer to the draft. Half these guys aren't going to make it. Half these guys are going to suck. Half these guys are going to find a ceiling that they're not going to be able to bust through, whether it's because it's limits on their ability, limits on their will to get the most out of their ability, or just good old-fashioned, I got smacked in the mouth by a grown-ass man, and I said, oh boy, that's it for me. That happens too. You just don't know until you get to that level. Who's going to step up and who's going to step off? But half these guys that, you know, that Thursday night, the parade of suits, none, none nearly as glorious as the one you wore in 2009, but we can only hope. Once we get to that point, it's all going to be positive. And that sets the fans of these teams who are trying to buy hope up for disappointment. But the problem is we don't know. That's why nobody finishes that sentence. Nobody fills in that gap. Hey, by the way, half these guys aren't going to make it. Because we don't know who's going to make it and who's not. All the work, all the effort, all the study does not tell guys like Scott Fitterer who's going to make it and who's not. That's the amazing aspect of this. No, I mean, you're right. That, that, that is. It's the amazing aspect. It's the aspect that makes it amazing, though. I mean, it makes it amazingly awesome as far as, yeah, we don't know. 
It's great the process in which these teams and we all go through to kind of evaluate the players. Of course, the teams themselves go through, you know, jumping over hoops and looking under rocks and doing everything that way. Because, yes, it's not foolproof. It's not. You know, even the teams that we know are awesome at the draft. You're, you're, you're not going to evaluate every person and their personality and their work ethic and how they'll fit with this team and some of these scenarios. It's impossible to know if that's going to work. So you're right from that aspect. But there are things you can gleam a little bit and put together. And you can take, like, from past drafts and guys you have drafted, whether it's, you know, common physical traits, common mental traits, work ethic, you know, love of the game, and you could start to piece that stuff together a little bit to give you an educated answer. But to your point, yes, it's not foolproof. And it is. It's 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 dicey. But I think that's what makes it awesome, too. And I think fans want that hope early on, right? Don't they? I mean, I think for the most part, they do. But you're right. It is a little bit of a f- false sense of hope because it usually ultimately leads to most of them being disappointed. <laughs> they want that hope. But I think they would like – and I think at some level they know. It's almost like they want to be lied to. Like when I said to you, if people called you to say they've read in the book about the Chris Sims spleen incident, I wanted you to say, yes, they have, even if they hadn't. They want to be lied to. (laughs) They want to be led to believe that this guy – that the team. I'm serious. They want to be led to believe – that this guy their team drafted is going to be one of the ones that works out, not one of the ones that washes out. And I think one of the reasons why there isn't full transparency from the draft experts as we, yeah, and and people will say, let these kids have their moments. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. Like, why would you be on the night of the draft saying, oh, they used a third round pick on that guy? That guy sucks. Why would they take that guy? Let's watch all the film of all the times he screwed up his assignments and got embarrassed why he was playing college football, and trash him. And I think one of the reasons they don't do it is because there is a chance the guy's going to be good. It's sure. 50-50. Sure. You don't know. So if you're going to guess one way or the other, you're going to guess the guy's going to be good, not that he's going to be bad. And if he's bad, it's on him. It's not on you. Right. And I think, and I think part of it too, Chris, if they were completely transparent about the fact that half the guys aren't going to be very good, the next question from the fans will be, well, Mr. Draft Expert, whoever you may be, Tell me which ones are going to be good and which ones aren't. And the answer is going to be, I don't know. So the response to that will be, then why are we listening to you? Yeah. So there's a, you want to get to the water's edge of uncertainty and not jump in. Because once you jump in, you invite questions as to what you really do know. But the answer to that is nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. I can tell you all about everything this guy's did. I can tell you about what the scouts like, what they right. don't like. I can right. tell you what he did well, what he didn't do well. But I can't tell you what he's going to do at the NFL level. Nobody can. That's the great mystery of this. And I think the effort and the time and the study and the film and the money and the money and the money that gets spent in the scouting process, you would expect at some point somebody's going to crack this code. Nobody has. No. Well, that's impossible. It's never going to be cracked that way. It's not. It's humans. Humans are flawed. There's issues. You know, you're not going to be able to portray them or think you're going to be able to, oh, I put them there and now I can figure out how they're going to be in this new environment. There's just too many variables. There, There is. But I do think we see teams that have, you know, lessened the fact or the chance of them being burned in the draft or screwing the draft up to a degree. Now, I do think there are teams that have figured that out for the most part. And again, even with those teams that we say you figure it out, I go, well, every if you took three years of draftable players, they probably still got 
four or five guys that you go, man, that was a bad pick. It didn't work out. So that is, that's the price of doing business. And, you know, I'm a guy that sits there and does some of that crap you're talking about with the draft. Oh, this is a great pick. This is a, yes, you do want to be positive, one, for the team. You know, a lot of the times the picks themselves make sense as far as what the team needs to a degree. And I think the other fun thing about the draft that makes it fun where, you know, you don't have to be negative about a player, but you can bring this, you know, aspect in which people look as negative is the fact that, you know, oh, this team needs a corner. Oh, they drafted corner X. Are you kidding me? Corner X would have been like my fourth corner. They should have drafted corner Y and Z and W. They were way better. You know, so that's the fun part of the draft too is, wait, I think they, I know what position they're going to take now. Oh, wait, which one of the three guys that are there available that would make sense to play that position? So there's a lot of things that play into it and none of us know, but I think that's why we all watch. It's sports. It's the best reality TV show going and uh, I'll be tuned in and you will too. Come oh, April twenty seventh, I, I know. I, but I, I, I want to be honest and authentic and yes, real with I know. the audience. I I'm not going to participate in this idea that they're all going to be great. I think part of the reason why, with individual picks, we don't hear that truthful assessment is nobody wants to create the tweet or the video of them saying a guy is not going to be good and then he ends up being a future Hall of Famer. You got a problem. It's always better to say a guy is going to be better than he's going to be and have him not live up to it, although they still get you for that too. They will. But I think it's, I think it's worse to say that this guy's going to stink and he ends up being great. Let's take a trip down memory lane. I like not this. all that far down memory lane. Right. Pete's put the top 16 picks from the 2018 draft in the sheet that we share. You can see it. I can see it. Let's just focus on the top 10. Okay. Let's focus on the top 10. Yeah. Because as Scott Fitterer said, you don't want to miss – on a top 10 pick. You don't want to blow one of those picks. Right. Let's just start at the very top. One of the guys we've been talking about for the past four weeks, not because he's carving a path to Canton, Ohio, <laughs> just down the road from Cleveland, Ohio, Baker Mayfield. Bust, all told. Look, he's had two good years, two bad years. Not enough for the Browns to refrain from swinging for the fences with a player who is among the most controversial in all of sports right now in Deshaun Watson and paying him $230 million fully guaranteed over five years, unprecedented contract to get Baker Mayfield out of Cleveland. That pick, in hindsight, not good, especially with Josh Allen looming at seven. Mm -hmm. Anybody who took a quarterback before seven should have taken Josh Allen. Right. No, no, no question. You know, I, I mean, I remember Cleveland – you know, the day after they took Baker Mayfield or a few days after, remember, they almost had a press conference almost going like, you're crazy not to think Baker Mayfield was the best pick. Oh, I can't remember. It was personnel guy. Oh, Josh Allen. No, it was Baker Mayfield. Like, he was arrogant. I felt like he was talking to me like because I was, of course, the guy that was starting the ground. Was it swell. Buddy Boy? Yeah, was it no, Buddy Boy? It wasn't Buddy Boy. It was an underling. And I'm, I'll, I'll figure out the name in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it. Uh, you know, you would know him, too, if you saw him. He, he had a high job up in the personnel department under Buddy Boy. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Bam, right off the bat. There you go. 2018, here's your guys for the fifth-year option. And we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield, number one pick. And, yes, didn't justify being picked at number one. We know that. Don't wanna, I don't want to say bust or whatever, but definitely did not justify being the number one pick in the draft. In context, bust. Yes, I, I you're mean, right. You're right. They, they wouldn't be trying bust. to trade him. 
Fine. right now. You're right. If he if okay. he wasn't a bust right. for the first overall pick. Yes, you're right. I, I agree with you. So let's go to pick number two and three. <laughs> well, I mean, Saquon Barkley. And, folks, I, I, and I remember when the Giants take Barkley at number two, uh, we still – and I think it's fair anytime a running back's taken in the top 10 to mention the cautionary tale that, number one, because of the nature of the position, there's a chance the guy's going to get too banged up to ever reach and sustain his potential to make that a pick that you should have taken over some other position where the injury rate is lower. Right. So you don't have that factor potentially keeping the guy from being who he could be. And you can get running backs anywhere and everywhere. So when you take those two together, as I've said time and again, and I've been saying this for a long time, you take a top 10 running back, you better be damn sure he's Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson, Emmett Smith, some combination of those, because you can find a good enough running back, not in round one, especially not in the top 10. Oh, and Saquon Barkley started off great, 2,000 yards from scrimmage right. as a rookie. Right. Great. But injuries caught up to him. He was the offensive rookie of the year. Injuries caught up to him, and it was not a good pick yeah. by the New York Giants. It's one of the reasons Dave Gettleman's not there anymore. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, to, to your point, I mean, all you got to say is, you know, who led the NFL in rushing? Who have been the best running backs in football the last few years? Oh, Jonathan Taylor, second-round pick. Nick Chubb, second-round pick. Derrick Henry, second-round pick. I mean, Alvin Kamara, what, third-round pick? Fourth round, somewhere in there? So, to your point, 100%, there's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm with you there. Okay, that one's easy. Sam Darnold also easy by virtue of the fact that the Jets hot-potatoed him to Carolina last year. And I don't know that now, – now, Sam Darnold may be an example of a guy a little who bit. got ruined Maybe. by his first team. And this is one of the reasons why I'm anti-draft. Sorry, folks, you're going to hear it. I'm anti-draft. I think guys should be able to pick where they're going to play coming out of school. And at quarterback especially, who's the coach? Who's the – Who's who's who else is on the coaching staff? Who's the offensive coordinator? Who's the quarterback's coach? What kind of team is this? What kind of dysfunction is there in the organization that may spill over into the locker room? As we've heard Alex Smith say recently regarding the Washington commanders, is it a stable spot for me? Is it a spot where I'm going to be expected to play right away? Do I want to play right away? Do I want to learn behind somebody? All of those factors could go into it. You don't get the pick. They pick you. And you could argue that Sam Darnold got ruined by the Jets, and that maybe he would have been better if he would have started his career somewhere else. We'll never know. But surely over time, there have been guys who thrive because of where they land, and there have been guys who fail because of where they land. And there are other factors that go into it. Definitely. That first team, that first team is a real factor, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah, no, no question. Well, this is what this list is going to like reveal to everybody here because this is an interesting draft. It just it's, it reveals to you that that – you can see here, and I, I will read off some of the other names, that people don't know what they're doing when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. They don't. They look at too much other stuff, stats and wins and, oh, my gosh, and, you know, oh, my, Sam Darnold the year before he came out in the Rose Bowl against a Penn State defense that can't stop anybody, but we're going to make a big deal about it, and that's all in our head, and, oh, my gosh, and that, that's where – that's, to me, what's going to jump out about this conversation more than any because when you look at the list – other than Saquon Barkley, the rest of the guys, you go, damn, good picks when you start going through. Quentin Nelson, you know, Roquan Smith, Mike McGlinchey, Minka Fitzpatrick, Vita Vea, you know, Colton Miller, Deron Payne. 
You know, I mean, it, it's one good player after another, but the quarterback conversation is a whole different thing there. And that's where it's going to be interesting tying it back to Scott Fitterer and Carolina and everything there as far as what they're going to do. And are you going to, you know, just take a quarterback because, man, we need a quarterback and we got the sixth pick. And even though we don't think he's that great, we're still going to do it. Or, or, you know, are we going to play some other angle? But that to me is the thing that jumps out about this more than anything else is, you know, the, the crapshoot, especially to your point, when it comes to teams evaluating quarterbacks, we just see so many teams get it wrong there. And I always think it's because they kind of value or look at the, the wrong things when it comes to that a lot of the times. So what are they looking at that's wrong? What should they, because this is critical. We're three I know. weeks away right. and you got the Panthers and the Falcons and Hey, you know, the speculation that, that we've kind of locked onto that maybe the Saints got 16 and 19 to try to make a move in front of the Panthers and get one of these guys. What are they focusing on that they shouldn't be right well, now? Well, I, I think you heard me say a few of the things. The one thing is that, that I hate to hear when I go, oh, you know, a winner, right? You just mentioned it, a winner. Okay, great. You got to have some winners around you and some people around you to win, just like you talked about with Sam Darnold of the Jets. So some, too many times I look at that and go, well, they're, they're, they're dictating the player on what the rest of the 100 players on a college football team and the coach did. They're going to boil it down to that one guy. You know, and that, you know what I love to say? You know, Patrick Mahomes ain't a winner. He's 4-7 and seven his senior year. John Elway was 3-7, and seven, not winners. I mean, bull crap. So that's the first thing I always want to say. It's not everything is not result from them, along with the well, stats. Look at t- sorry, two and on, but look at Tua Tagovailoa. He's well, a winner because he's the quarterback of the best exactly team in the, right. in, the, in the country. Exactly. So that, that's where, you know, it just, to me, that gets overblown. Stats get overblown, right? That's another thing. Certainly, oh, well, well his stats, look at his completion percentage. All right, well, you know, are these plays and throws and things that are realistic to NFL football? College is a totally different game. So there's that there too that gets too deeply looked into you know and then you know sometimes people I I feel like you know oh he's got it or there's just something about him and you know hey with it and all that stuff too there's got to be something tangible right you know that that's that's to me what it is there's intangibles and talent that's what IT stands for for me and, and too many times people look at for the intangibles of, oh, he's Tim Tebow. He's a great leader. Oh, there's, there's Matt Leiner. There's just something special about how he leads USC. No, no, there's not. They're just awesome. And it looks cool that he's the quarterback. It's not that special. He just says set hut and goes, here you go. And the guy runs 80 yards and we go, oh, that was special. That's to me what people mess up too much in the evaluation process uh, with quarterbacks especially. Do you think there's a certain element of it where they just like the guy, like they get smitten they with him, definitely, like George with definitely. Lane's boyfriend Tony, and they're like, he's a cool guy, he, he gets free pie, like they just become, wow, we really like this guy, we want to be around this guy, we think he's got something about him, regardless of what he actually does when it's time to go play football. It's why Baker Mayfield got picked number one. It was it's just <laughs> one of the biggest reasons to tie it back to that. Oh, the guy. He's amazing in the locker room. The team loves him. The equipment trainers love him. Yeah. The team dog yeah. loves him. Check, check with mean, him in a few years. I know. So that that's there you go. So people love that. Oh, we there was a group that just you couldn't tell them wrong. 
he was the best leader in college football, and that's all they. So that's another thing. They just go, okay, well, hey, you're at Oklahoma. Everything's roses. They're winning every game. It's all perfect. Everybody's wide open. It's C.D. Lamb's open, and give the ball to this running back. And oh, there's Hollywood Brown. It's awesome. What a great leader he is when things are great. And yes, to your point, I think that gets looked into a little too deeply too. When our producer for today, Pete Demolitis, isn't feeding us potential questions that include the F word, he is actually doing some work. Check out this quote. Oh, here it he is. Yeah, Alonzo Highsmith. Exactly. Alonzo Highsmith, right. former NFL running back. Right. He was the VP of player personnel. And here's what he said after the 2018 draft. Baker Mayfield lost two receivers, and he was the same quarterback. Josh Allen, big arm. He could throw the ball from here to the moon. When they have to make excuses, why are they not completing passes? That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, oh, so, that's a problem. So, so that's a problem. Well, so <laughs> this is. Let's start right there. That the, see, this is where it goes wrong. He's not completing passes. I, Mike, if you and I sat down and watched three games of Josh Allen back in Wyoming, we'd go. I remember talking about right. I go. There's ago, only there's the only been four guys open in three games. So yeah, the completion percentage is not going to be high. He's throwing in fifty mile per hour winds in the snow with nobody that can get open. But that's they were going to put that on him. See what I mean? So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, yeah. but I just thought no, it was a no, good no, no, that was good. Yeah, because I, I remember having that specific conversation sitting in this chair four years ago and you were saying you can't put it on the quarterback when the completion percentage is low at college because there's a good chance that his receiving core was crap right and it was it was all due respect and you're playing in wyoming yes. and all the other factors that go into it and and so that it was discounted by the browns who gravitated toward baker mayfield then comes the part said alonzo highsmith four years ago where you meet them off the field you watch their workouts you watch everything and baker Blew me away. Highly, highly intelligent. Highly competitive. And he had a trait that some of the good ones have. I call it efficacy. That includes the power to affect other people. I thought that of all the quarterbacks I watched, he stood out far and above the other guys. When he walked into a room, you knew he was there. Well, And now he's not. Well, he's or not. At least he right. soon won't be. Right. And, and out of that class, when people walk into the – out of all those quarterbacks, when they walk in the room, you know who they know who's there? Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. That's the first two people that every team would know, locker room would know. And those are the two guys that encompass what Alonzo Highsmith is trying to say there with that final statement there. Those are the two guys that walk into a locker room and everybody goes, ooh, efficacy or whatever that word is. Be- because of what they did, right. not in college – because of what they've done exactly at the highest level of the sport right. against the highest level of competition with the best available receivers that they have, and they landed in organizations that embraced them, that played to their talents. Took the Bills a couple years to figure it out with Josh Allen, but that's okay. By year three, boom, off the charts, yeah. MVP candidate. The Ravens figured it out right away with Lamar Jackson. When they picked him, while Joe Flacco at the time was their starting quarterback, they knew what they were going to do, completely reformulate the offense around the skills and abilities of Lamar Jackson. That's good coaching. That's good organization. That's the Ravens. That's not the team down the road from the Ravens in Washington that would have screwed it all up if they had Lamar Jackson. And we'd have been saying by 2020, man, they pissed away a pick on Lamar Jackson. Sorry, Manchester. But that 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 see, that's why I wish there wasn't a draft. Because Lamar Jackson, in theory, could have been picked by a bad team. He could have been. Every team had a shot at him 
before 32, although somebody surely traded out. Not everybody would have had a first-round pick, but you get my point. Yeah. If he lands with a team that isn't going to come up with an offense that gets the most out of his skills, that tries to jam a square peg into a round hole, tries right. to get him think, do things he's not comfortable doing, doesn't take advantage of his gifts, we're never going to know how good he is. And he's not going to be the 2019 NFL MVP. Agreed. Uh, all those things come into play. There's no question about it. Doesn't matter. You know, there's only a few people in the history of the sport that can get away with the the deck being stacked against them in the categories you're talking about where they can overcome it. And those are like special. Hey, Deion Sanders, it doesn't matter what team he was on. Hey, go cover that guy. Great. We know he's going to be awesome. Randy Moss, go out there, run a go route. Oh, I don't know what team you're on, but you'll be open. Great. Reggie White, you're going to be over. Those. Yeah. Okay. You know, those, we're talking about the all timers of the all timers, but for the rest, you're right. It's got to have the right formula concocted for them to be successful. And it's got to fit in a lot of different ways. And you know, that's it does. It makes it horrible at times. And you can be a player and get stuck in a bad position. And it's, it's really tough. And you could be a good player and now nobody will ever know because you don't have the support system like you talked about. Um, but, I don't know if Pete was yeah. being sarcastic. But, he says we have a live look at Baker Mayfield's e efficacy. Do we have something? <laughs> he's oh, funny. Is. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, stop it. All right. Um, oh, man. But, but look, look. Let's say this. If Baker Mayfield had not landed with the Browns is the Browns. Now, I know they've gotten better. Yeah. But he did have to suffer through. Hugh Jackson and company sure. until Jackson got fired. Then it was the Freddie Kitchen show in 2019, which caused Baker Mayfield to backslide. And when they hired Kevin Stefanski, and look, Stefanski coach of the year in 2020, they did great things. They got to the final eight. But it was, it was never a personality match, and it never will be a personality right. match between Stefanski and Mayfield. So I think that's contributed to it. And I still think Baker Mayfield can be great. You get him in the right spot. One of the reasons why the Browns may be looking to get rid of him is related to the Browns, not the player. There are two sides of that coin sure. when it comes down to whether or not a guy busts in a given city. It could be the player. It could be everything around the player. Just like you said, what makes a winner? Not one guy in a 22-man sport where you got an offense, a defense, and everything that goes along with it. It's not one guy. You get that one guy in the right spot. That's why I'm fascinated by the possibility of Baker Mayfield being cut and going straight to Pittsburgh because then you see what Baker Mayfield can do when he's got an elite defense all the time, when he's got a coach who's not going to put up with any of the crap that may be going on behind the scenes, causing teammate to be pitted against teammate and the Odell Beckham Jr. stuff. And, you know, you have the right culture, the right mindset. It's a different attitude altogether. Knows how to coach a quarterback. Knows how to get the most out of a Ben Roethlisberger. Knows how to speak to his better angels. Hey, one of the reasons, let's, let's give Tomlin credit here. Because we always talk about Tomlin as it relates to what he did with Antonio Brown. Keeping Antonio Brown from becoming the Antonio Brown we now know. Yeah, exactly. Until late in his career in Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger had a dramatic transformation in what kind of a guy he was. He was a pain in the ass for his teammates early in his career. Again, that gets forgotten because he turned it around. Right. What happened? What happened? Mike Tomlin became the coach in 2007. And that's about the time where it started. It still took some time for Ben Roethlisberger to truly transform himself. But it all happened on Tomlin's watch. Yeah, it did. Roethlisberger, early in his career, pain in the ass. Later in his career, not. 
Mike Tomlin. This may be one of the reasons why, for all their flaws, the Browns realize we can't let this guy go to Pittsburgh and let, let the Steelers expose how we didn't know how to handle Baker Mayfield and get the most out of him and have this efficacy come to the forefront. I'm still not entirely sure that's the right word. I don't know what that seems right either. Right, right. But but regardless, whatever it is, whatever quality spoke to the Browns in 2018, if it's still ricocheting around there inside of Baker Mayfield, Mike Tomlin's going to draw it out of him. Yeah, and Mike Tom- yeah. That's why. That's why hey, the, the part of me that loves a good story, that loves chaos, I want to see the Browns have no way out of this. They have to cut him, and he goes straight to Pittsburgh, and Tomlin gets more out of Baker Mayfield than the Browns ever could. It'll be interesting. I'll be interested to know if that does happen, if they really want him, if they really do. Like, would, would Pittsburgh really welcome him that way? You know, maybe, maybe they, as of playing him the last few years, just go, well, we don't love him that much. And I, I would be interested to know that. Plus, Baker's not a movement guy, and we know they kind of want to run a movement type of offense. But I'm with you in the fact of I, I'm still a believer in Baker, too. There's still talent there. So I'm not ready to throw in the towel and go, oh, man, I don't see it. No, we've seen enough. We know he can do it. We do. And there are some you know, tangible things about his game and intangibles that we like that I think we go that can be successful still. It can you know, but that's the amazing thing about where we are right now. You, know, you, you just you, you read the room, and for Baker Mayfield, as he sits there right now, you go, where, where is he going to land? Where is he going to go? You know, I, I just sit here and go, okay, Seattle or Houston? Seattle or Houston? That's what I keep going back to. I Houston could have had him already. I know. And, and that's, well, that's what I was going to say. It's, everybody you talk to in football will tell you Houston seems like they're going to truly give Davis Mills the shot, right? So you know, th- there's that aspect. And then – you know, Seattle's the only one I sit there and come to and go, well, that makes sense. I mean, that, but, but that's, I'm amazed that, you know, we're kind of in this situation with Baker Mayfield, who has starting caliber talent. There's no question at quarterback. And we're getting down to, you know, not many teams left for him to start for here. You know, I think you tie that together with what's going on in the draft and an underwhelming draft class and who's going to be the quarterback of some of these teams. I think it's very interesting right now. I think that one of the things that we definitely have to pay attention to is who emerges from round one with a quarterback and who doesn't. You know, yeah. if the Saints would jump up to number five and take Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis right. before the Panthers can take one or the other and the Panthers take the other and the Falcons say, we just can't. We can't take the next guy at number eight. We can't do it. Then maybe the door opens in Atlanta because Marcus Mariota, all due respect, can't be the guy that they expect to be their quarterback because he can't stay healthy. So maybe the Falcons develop a what the hell else are we going to do? Let's go get Baker Mayfield attitude when it comes to this situation. The draft is going to tell us a lot about where Baker Mayfield possibly will go. Mayfield appeared on a podcast last week. It's supposed to post in the next couple of days. It's going to be his first comments since his farewell letter to Cleveland that was posted on social media before the Deshaun Watson trade happens. So I have a feeling Mayfield will have some things to say. And let's remember, whether it's Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo, because the Texans could be waiting for Garoppolo to be cut. Both of those guys have considerable power, even without a no-trade clause. If someone comes sniffing around a trade for them and their attitude is, I don't want to play for your team, that is not going to make the team more intent on doing that deal. They don't want a guy that doesn't want to be there. No. And if it's a team that these guys don't want to play for, and especially Mayfield, 
I've been through four years of the Browns as the Browns. I'm going to be very selective about where I continue my career because this may be it for me. What I do with this next team may be my last chance to convince somebody that I can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, it, it, it'll, it's a big decision for him. There, there's no question. And I don't see any other way other than Cleveland releasing him at some point and him being able to choose the team he wants to go to. I just, again, I, don't, I can't see a team, you know, knowing at some point that you got to trade him. They're going to let him go. They're not going to keep him there. So uh, that, that will be interesting, Mike. And, I, you know, again, can, just going back to Carolina with them at pick number six, too. Uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated by that just because of kind of the things we talked about and you've already laid out the you know the points of you know it, yeah crapshoot yeah do we really believe that this guy's the guy or are we gonna do it just because we kind of need a quarterback and we gotta appeal to our owner and the fan base I, Carolina's fascinating to me you know I, first off Kenny Pickett it sounds like he's gonna be the guy that you know they fancy he's the most NFL ready I understand that but man you know. Number six pick, Kenny Pickett. I just, uh, mm, I don't, I don't see that. That doesn't sound right. And I'm never mad at a team for going in on the guy they want to go in on, but you know, I, I really don't look at these guys as in a traditional year. If it was a strong quarterback class, is looking at them going, these are top ten picks. I don't. That's where the Saints thing that we talked about yesterday. Just go, what? You know, you're gonna, are, are they really gonna trade away two of these picks to go get one of these guys this year? I just don't think it's a class that warrants that, but yet we know how important the position is and teams get desperate and they do want to send a perception out to their fan base that sometimes they make these moves and they're not warranted. And they can talk themselves into yeah, it. Yeah, You get definitely. into that echo chamber where right. they start saying, oh, he's got efficacy. And, 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 you know, uh, and this is where it's important to have a front office that has different ideas, that has an atmosphere where people can freely speak up and communicate these ideas without being insulted, without being called stupid. You want to have a welcoming environment where everyone can bring to the table whatever they think, good, bad, or otherwise. You don't want to seal off the thinking in any organization. This applies anywhere and everywhere, but especially in a setting like this. You get locked onto the wrong guy. And you got a bunch of yes men and yes women in the organization saying, good idea, boss. Good yeah, idea, boss. Right. Yeah, that's what I right. think. Yeah. And that's why. That's why Carolina, I worry about Carolina. That's you know why? You know why? Yeah. I, I'm learning more about David Tepper. I mean, right. David Tepper did not become one of the richest owners in sports. And Forbes just put out their list of the top 10 richest owners in all of sports. And there's only one NFL owner on it, and it's David Tepper. He didn't get that way by being a shrinking violet. He is a guy that gets what he wants. He's decisive, and and he I, and I think it. he's got a force of personality. I had a story recently, and I can't I can't tell the story without potentially outing my source. But it underscored for me that David Tepper is a type double A positive. Take no prisoners. Tell it like it is. This is my team. This is my decision. This is my way. And if you have that emanating from the top of the organization. And you make it clear, yeah. we are finding right. a quarterback. Right. We are getting right. a quarterback. Why couldn't we get Deshaun Watson? Why couldn't we get this guy? Why couldn't we get that guy? They're taking a quarterback. I'd be stunned if they don't take a quarterback it seems because that he way. is so desperate right. to get a franchise quarterback. I and if you fail, you'll be back there in a year or two 
to get another one yeah. because it doesn't cost you like it used to. No, it doesn't. And like Scott Fitterer kind of said in that little you know clip we showed earlier, you, you take your cuts or you take your swings until you you hit. You know, and that seems kind of be what they're doing. And and I'm with you, Mike. As much as I look at it and go, I don't think they should take the quarterback there. I have the feeling or feel like they're going to do that for sure because of David Tepper, because of everything you're talking about. And then, you know, you explain too, you know, just as far as, yes, you have that kind of guy who's so adamant about it. You're, you're right. The, you know, the owner is adamant about the quarterback. He, he's going to get the answers he wants, you know. And then out of the group we're talking about, you know, you know I like Matt Corral the best. I do. Hands down. Like, without a doubt, excites me the most and I think can be the most talented in the NFL. Willis needs some work, but has a high ceiling and some big-time potential, but it's very backyardy football still, so that's got to be worked on. Pickett, like we talked about, well-schooled, all right? knows where to go with the ball, It's played in kind of a pro-style offense. All of that is really good, except there's nothing physically to go, wow, he could be a top-five quarterback one day. And that's, to me, with the other issue with Carolina, when I think about Kenny Pickett going there at number six, right? Because that seems to be the one that, you know, most commonly gets linked, and I understand for a team that needs to win right now, Pickett's ready to go. But here's the thing that would I would be concerned about if I'm in Carolina too and you're going to draft Kenny Pickett. They're going to draft Kenny Pickett. They're going to take the, go on the practice field for their first OTA, and they're going to go, oh, my gosh, the guy we drafted at number six, his arm's not as good as Sam Darnold's. It's not as a quicker release. He's actually not as quick as him in the pocket. His arm, And, and, and that's going to be a tough thing too. You know, so that's not going to be the greatest look either. You know, like we've talked about before, when you want a guy to come in and start and play, you want him to be, you know, the more talented guy, especially when he's a top 10 draft pick to where like the locker room and everybody just goes, whoa, whoa, hey, man, team made the right pick there. You see that guy, what he was doing on the field today? You know, that goes a long way. That, that would worry me if I'm in Carolina with this situation. And let me just say this before we wrap it up, because yeah. this is an important aspect, even though it doesn't justify its own segment. There is an ugly, awkward PR mess unfolding for the Panthers right now as it relates to the construction of this gigantic headquarters and facility in Rock Hill, South Carolina, where the folks in Rock Hill didn't come through with some funding mechanism, $250 million in bonds that were supposed to be sold. And so David Tepper pulled the plug on construction. He's got a couple hundred million of steel in the ground that they have to pay him back for. He's, by all indications and appearances, just walking away from this. Screw it. You didn't live up to your end of the bargain. I'm out. I'm done. And that already is creating some very strong comments from some local politicians, and it is not going to bode well for the connection between community and team. They need something like a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis, a franchise quarterback, to turn the page right. on this, to get people to not pay as much attention to this mess that they have. It's another reason why these decisions get made by owners. And don't buy the idea that the owners aren't involved. I got a laugh out of it when Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, said last week that the Deshaun Watson decision was a football operations thing, not ownership. <laughs> That's a lie. They want to be able to blame it on someone else when it blows up in their face. That's, it's an extension of the homeless guy told me to take Johnny Manziel. It's never the owner's decision because the owner needs to have someone else to blame. That's why I respect Jerry Jones. He's willing to take the heat for the bad decisions the Cowboys make. Sure. Everybody else, they got, they got their finger in the stew but when it all goes south, it's not their fault. It's nothing they did. They didn't make the decision so they can blame it on somebody else. And I don't know that 
that David Tepper can pull that off because I think we've kind of figured out that Tepper's the guy who's right. driving the bus. Right. But but remember that when the owner acts like it's not on the owner, it's on the owner. The owner the owner is not sitting back saying, "Hey, whatever you want to do is fine with me." No, no not with those type of decisions. You're right about that. You know, yeah. If, if it's the third corner on the roster or a free agent, like, "Hey, we're looking for a, a you know a nickel linebacker." Okay, yeah. The owner's not involved in that. But when it comes to the type of decisions you're talking about. No doubt about it. First round quarterback paying a guy $230 million guaranteed. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had nothing to do with that. Right. They just said, hey, we're going to, hey, Mr. Haslam, we're going to offer the greatest contract ever to a a guy that's got issues. We don't need to really hear your opinion. Okay. See you later. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? (laughs) One of the beauties of having a very loosely produced two hour show is that we can kind of go down whatever avenues we want to. And as I look at the clock, it's amazing to me that we have blown through 50 minutes. Good talk. Just kind of shooting the crap yeah. about different things that came up. But it was useful for me. Chris, I hope it was useful for you and it everybody was. out there watching or listening. Above all else, we hope it was useful for you. Let's take a break. we got plenty more PFT Live to come. We'll be back right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, The threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Bills, as I've argued in the not-too-distant past, need to get Stephon Diggs finally taken care of. They traded for him two years ago. He tweeted his way out of Minnesota, coincidentally or not, after Kirk Cousins got his second contract with the Vikings. Diggs was gone basically within a day after he made it clear he wanted out. We kind of had a sense that things weren't ideal for him in Minnesota. Right. He had signed his second contract with the Vikings, though. The Bills took him on with that contract, and they kept him for two years without giving him a major payday. Now we see the receiver market go haywire. The Bills do the smart thing. They make Stephon Diggs happy. The reports are already conflicting on what the deal is worth, and we know how this goes by now. There are the initial reports that are given to us by the people who thrive on someone choosing to give them the information. They will tend to boost the numbers, because the agents are the ones that typically put this out there. Four years, $104 million is how Shefty has characterized it. That makes it worth $26 million per year in new money. Rappaport says four years, $96 million, and it can be worth more in incentives. That obviously makes it worth less than $26 million per year in new money. It makes it $24 million per year in new money. And when you talk about how we've got this competition between who's getting the most money, that's a big difference between 26 and 24. Now, the way that Schefter characterizes it from signing, it's six years, 124.1. That's $20.6 million per year at signing. I don't know whether that bakes in this $8 million that's kind of floating between is it incentives or is it not incentives. So here's how it works. What we know is he signed a contract. We also know that there's some numbers out there that people will gladly pass along without saying, are you sure? They never stop and say, are you sure? Because if they stop and say, are you sure? They give the information to someone else. That's how it goes. So then phase three, at some point in the next couple of days, we'll get 
the contract or a breakdown of the contract that tells us exactly what it's worth. And it'll be interesting to see where it falls yes. when we get into the details in relation to Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, other top receivers. Where is this Stephon Diggs data point? Because that becomes relevant to guys like DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, teammates at Mississippi who are both in line to get paid a lot of money by somebody. Yeah, no doubt. First off, I think it's a great thing for the Buffalo Bills, right? I mean, there's no doubt. Stephon Diggs is their go-to guy. It's Josh Allen's go-to guy. You know, Mike, to something you said earlier about the draft and support system and all of those type of things, you know, Stephon Diggs is looked at as kind of like oh, a little bit of a pain in the butt. Sometimes a diva up in Minnesota got to a place that he liked with the right people around him, and now they look at him as one of the best guys in the locker room and a leader that way. So, you know, awesome for them. He's an awesome football player who can do everything within their system. So the, I love that, that Buffalo did this, you know, to give them a future and security there and to reward Stefan Diggs. Um, no question. He's a special football player. He is. But, yeah, as far as the, the contract itself, it will be interesting to kind of see where that goes because I, I, I want to pull up some of these ones right now that are up there as far as that conversation goes. You know, we, we talked about Avante Adams, $28 million. Like you said, now Diggs is third in football at 20, you know, at 26 as of if right it's now. 26. If it's 26. If it's 26. Right. So it's slightly behind Hopkins, Adams, Tyree Kill, and that conversation there. And as it pertains to DK Metcalf, I would think he's going to want a little bit. I would think he's going to want somewhere right in that area, or if not north of that, going. Wait, I haven't even reached my potential. You got to pay me for what I could, do, what I'm going to do a little bit, and that's where it's, it's going to be interesting with him specifically. Here's the other thing to remember too: when you commit for six years into the future, especially now, yeah, as the salary cap is really starting to get that nitrous oxide boost from TV money and gambling money. It may be in another two or three years, Stephon Diggs looks around and says, man, I'm getting screwed. Right. This is not a good deal. Right. The longer the deal you do in today's climate, especially right now, the greater the chance you're going to say halfway into that deal, this isn't a good deal. So that's why it's also important to get into the details. How much does he make the first three years? Is it front loaded? Is it back loaded? Just a few weeks ago. The Bills gave Von Miller six years 120, and we knew instinctively from the start there's no way in hell it's six years 120, and the truth ended up being something far less than that, something as a practical matter far shorter than that. That's going to be part of this as well. And it's, it's funny, Schefter's tweet says that the intent from both sides is to have Stephon Diggs retire in Buffalo. The word intent probably should not be used in any context as it relates to what a team intends to do or wants to do or plans to do, because we know plans change. And we definitely know with Diggs, plans can change quickly. Now, there's no reason for him to leave Josh Allen. But if he gets to a point two or three years from now where the market's north of $30 million for receivers and the salary cap is kissing $300 million a year, that's when he may intend something else if the bills don't tear up what's left on the contract and fix it like they did today yeah no, definitely definitely and 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 then you know to the same to the same point as buffalo three years from now four years from now could go wait he doesn't have the same speed doesn't have the same burst and they could cut ties with them and that's it so you know don't be mad fans if he does want more money after performing awesome in three years from now and the the market's exploded that's for sure. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the market does go as far as the salary cap because you're right. It just seems like everything's kind of on the, uh, on the brink of exploding here uh, as far as some of these numbers. And it already has exploded. But now, You see, and this, here's, where, here's yeah. why I have a problem with it. Yeah. When, when you look at a play, and I, this is not a criticism of any one specific right? website that categorizes these numbers. Yeah. 
But the way these contracts are done, it it necessarily results in bullcrap making its way to those of us who are trying to understand where these deals fit. I'm looking at one specific website in particular, and they have Tyree Kill listed at average value of contract at $30 million, And it's just not. It's not $30 million. That thing's got a phony $45 million salary on the back end that drove the average for new money up to $30 million. So that, that's, a, that's a clear example of the disconnect between what we're told and what's real. Yes. He's not making $30 million a year. From the Miami Dolphins, it's three years, seventy-five million. He's getting twenty-five million a year from the Dolphins, and that's a big difference when we're trying to figure out where these other guys are going to fall. That's a five million dollar range between phony baloney, average value, and real average value. Yeah, it is, and and I would think that's probably when it went into this, you know, Stefan Diggs number, and I'm sure it's somewhat. You know, close to that, if not north of that. But you're right. You can't ever pay attention to the total numbers like we've talked about. It means nothing. It's it's basically like guaranteed money and then, okay, just try to figure out how many years they're going to be on the hook for that guaranteed money or what makes them sense to where now they can get off the hook for the rest of the contract. And more times than not, every contract in football, even when it says six years, blah, 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 it's a two-year deal or a three-year deal, period. That's it. There's no such thing, you know, other than maybe the rare occasional Patrick Mahomes, you know, or somebody like that where you go, oh, this is a linchpin of the organization for a long time, which is almost always going to be a quarterback. Everybody else is on a two- to three-year deal. Even the superstars in the sport, um, that's just the way it works. And, yeah, a lot of these numbers are phony baloney. That, that's one of the reasons why with a quarterback contract, the idea that Deshaun Watson is fully guaranteed. It's really not that big of a leap because you rarely see a franchise quarterback that we know and accept as a franchise quarterback get cut two or three years in. The team always keeps him. It's these other positions where the first two or three years become critical because after the first two or three years, there is an opportunity for the team to move on. Devontae Adams. Now, look. He's the next one on the list at $28 million. And the difference with him is that's a real $28 million average because there's no new money in there. It's a contract that he signed from scratch. But he's 30 years old. It's five years, $140 million at $28 million per year. And we've got the breakdown somewhere at PFT after this deal was done. It's far from $28 million per year as a practical matter. It's more like 22 or 23 which is still pretty good. But this is the gamesmanship. And it's funny because, Chris, there are some people out there who think, and they act and they tell their audience like they've just figured this out. They're the first ones to tell the world that this is how it is. I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I've been telling people for 20 years that these deals are crap and we need to peel them back and break them down when we get them through the pipeline. And then we can tell people the truth. And that's one thing that the insiders, the information robots, as they call them sometimes, yes, derisively, they're not providing anything more than the basic information that's being spoon-fed yeah. to them. That perpetuates a lie onto the audience we either want to be truthful with the audience or we want to lie to the audience and there's an element of truth yes there's a new contract but there's also an element of lie when Schefter or Rappaport or any of the others that are hanging on their phones 24 hours a day they're plugged into the matrix like Neo they're tormented they can't sleep they don't want to be 30 seconds behind the tweet that comes from their competitor they're passing along what they get without scrutiny because if they pause if they hesitate they have lost that is the that, that's, and it's not specific to them. If you jump onto that merry-go-round, that's how it works. This is to the audience. Understand that part of that truth is going to come with a lie. They're telling you the truth that there's a contract. 
they're lying to you about what it's worth. They know they're lying to you about what it's worth. They don't care that they're lying to you about what it's worth. They view it as an occupational hazard. Yeah. And then the truth will come out eventually. Yeah. That's just how it works. It's how it works. So yeah, but anyway, you know, you know what drives you know what I, I like about you and you always try to set the record straight. And hopefully we can continue to do that. Hopefully we can even find better ways to do it. Like, you know, maybe next time somebody kinds a contract, you could write, hey, blah, 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 signs for this contract. And then parentheses, you could put it actually what it is. Like, I, th- th- but you can't find, but until you get the, I know, the I know, you don't find the details until later. Right, right. right. I know, right. I know, I know. That's, that's the, really the problem. But to me too, Mike, to what we're talking about here and with a little bit of this, and uh, this has always bothered me. See, this is where I think too, like, because of these numbers and the things that are thrown out there, this is why fans like get mad at NFL players at times for, oh, they're making so much money to play a game and blah, 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 where I want to go, you know, again, it's, it, it, for whatever reason, it seems like there's more backlash in football than other sports. And I think a lot of fans don't know the nuances or don't realize that when they say they see a six-year, $120 million contract for a baseball player and they see the same contract for a football player, that it's not anything near the same thing. That the baseball player can never have another hit in his life and is going to see all $120 million, period. You know, not, nothing. Same with the NBA player. And then the NFL, it's not that way to where I feel like it gets used against players sometimes in the court of public opinion, and that's where I don't like it at times because uh, I think it kind of puts a, a bad look on players to a degree. And that brings us back to a point that I've made in the past. At some point during this recent cycle of not just big contracts but overly inflated for the purposes of lying to the audience about what the contract is worth, why does a player, like if you're Tyreek Hill and you're actually making 75 and the more accurate guaranteed number is 72.2 million over the next three years. Why do you want people to think you're making 30 million a year? Why do you want that? What do you benefit from having people think that you are making more than you actually are? What benefit does that have to you? Now, I guess when it comes to just like, who's the fastest, who's making the most money, something basic like that, alpha male crap, Exactly. Right? That's what it is. I'm making more money than you, right? Because it does bring more resentment, more problems, you're going to have more people who want stuff from you. Hey, you're making $30 million a year. Well, actually, I'm not. It's only – not that it matters. Like, I mean, it's only, it's only, only 72.2 over the next three years. <laughs> yeah. So please don't ask me for that <laughs> donation. But it's driven by the agents. That's the reality. And, and, and here's, here's where I balance out. Because, you know, you got the Richard Sherman's of the world that think, oh, the Florio's pro-agent. Look, the agents, are li- the agents are the ones who are telling the lies because they want to take these phony numbers, not all of them, but some of them, and they know who they are, and they, they do it knowing that it's a lie. They want to boost their own profile. They want to be able to take that contract they did. They want to take that tweet from Schefter, and they want to use it to recruit their next wave of clients. And that's always happening. With every group that's in the NFL getting paid, there's a new group coming in that these agents are trying to get. So if you have that feather in your cap as you begin recruiting these guys, hey, look, I negotiated the richest contract in NFL history at this position. You should hire me. That's been something that I've known about since I first got into this business 20 years ago. The agents have an incentive to lie about the value of the deal, to push it up, to put them in a better position to get to the front of the line for the next guy that they're trying to sign. That's why they lie about the numbers. 
And again, so everybody, look, the lie originates with the agent who has a reason to do it. The lie gets perpetuated by the information robot who has a reason to do it. And to the extent that I've found a niche in this business, and Chris, you're part of it now with me, you've been sucked into it as well. We'll take a breath, we'll wait for the contract, and then we'll tell people the truth. Whatever yeah, it is, right. good, bad, or otherwise, we'll tell them the truth. Yeah, no, I, I th- we got to continue to fight that fight. And you know, to your point, yeah, the player's not going to the player's not going to come out and go, oh, actually, it's not the the richest contract. Yeah, the player likes that too. I mean, you know, it's hey, yeah, walk in the locker room. I'm making thirty million a year. You know, most of the guys in the locker room don't really know the details. There's like two or three guys that'll probably, if he said, oh, I'm making 30 million a year, two or three guys in the locker room will probably go, it's really 25. It's really 25. Well, (laughs) and you know who else says nothing about it? Not just the player. You know who else stays silent about the lie that gets told? The the team? The team. Yeah, right. You know why? You know why? What's your thought? I know. know. This was one of the chapters that didn't make it to Playmakers. This was one of the ones that got put on the cutting room floor because we had to, you know, cut it off at 110. (laughs) Maybe we'll put it in Playmakers too. This is a true story. The team will keep its mouth shut because it desperately wants the player to be happy with his contract. Sure. So whatever number the agent wants to put out there, whatever it is, the team assumes the agent's doing it with the blessing of the player, and this makes the player happy. Right. The team wants the player to be happy. Yeah, the deal isn't as good as it's maybe being suggested. Yeah, it, it. and the other benefit for the team is it creates the impression that they're wizards at dealing with the salary cap. How right. did the how did the Rams give Bobby Wagner a five year fifty million dollar deal? Well they didn't. That's how. <laughs> yeah. But here here let me tell you the story. Pete's saying we need to go to break. Pete, I'm telling my story, damn it. Um Javon Walker. No. Oh, he yeah. signed a contract with the Raiders 2007, 2008 time frame. Right. And and this was beautiful. It's the only time a team ever publicly pushed back against the report regarding the value of a deal. The only time it ever happened, the Raiders issued a statement saying that the reports regarding the value of the Javon Walker deal are false. And here's the cherry on top. Here's the rest of the story. The Raiders were wrong. The reports were accurate. It was a truthful representation of the contract. So the one time, the one time a team says fake news about the value of a contract it actually was accurate, and it was truthful. Jeez. So that, now you know the rest. Now, of the now we know why the Raiders weren't very good there. Uh, you know, late two thousand seven, yes. eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They didn't even know what they were amazing. paying guys. <laughs> the first time, the only time a team is pushed back is the one time that the initial numbers that were propagated by the agent were actual and truthful and correct numbers. Let's take a break. Some developments as it relates to Deshaun Watson. We'll discuss that when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 